Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I am proud to announce that Food Pharmacy, one of the biggest health brands in Sweden, is now launching its highly acclaimed blog as well as books and podcasts in English. Food Pharmacy is eager to take its award-winning Scandinavian concept and share it with the rest of the world and to contribute to the fight against the global burden of lifestyle-related diseases. In 2014, Lina Nertby and Mia Klasa started Food Pharmacy, embarking on a long, sometimes meandering, often magical journey towards their goal of improving public health. Along the way, they've spoken with a variety of experts and professionals in various fields related to health and lifestyle. In this podcast series, you'll meet a few of them. Be a part of the journey. This is The Food Pharmacy Show. We are back. And if you don't remember, I am Lina. And I am still Mia. And this is the episode two of our new podcast. Welcome back, everyone who listened to the first episode. Today, we are going to uh, listen to an interview mm. with Rebecca Eriksson. Mm. I love Rebecca. Rebecca is a British trained dietitian. And she has over 10 years of clinical experience. Mm. And currently she's involved in scientific research at Imperial College of London. But she's a superwoman. She is also running her private clinics in London, Marbella, and teaming up with Executive Health Clinic here in Stockholm. Yeah, and this is where we have met her several times in Stockholm. But yeah. she is based in Spain, Marbella. Yes. And um, today we talk to Rebecca about lifestyle-related diseases. Mm -hmm. On one hand, we talk about uh, metabolic syndrome mm -hmm. and diabetes and obesity. But on the other hand, we talk about another very uh, widespread disease today, which is IBS. Mm. But Lina, uh, speaking of metabolic syndrome, do you think that people know what that is? Are they familiar with that uh, expression? I think that now after COVID-19, mm. more and more people are, since mm. having the metabolic syndrome increases your risks yeah, true. of getting very ill mm. by the virus or mm. even end up in hospital. But I think that you should present it in the best way you can. Mm, I will, but then I would need some music. Mm. 
Metabolic syndrome is a clustering of at least three of the following five medical conditions. Abdominal obesity, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high serum triglycerides and high HDL cholesterol. Was that bad? No, I mean, you are a genius. Now I will tell you one bad and one good news. So what do you want to hear first, Mia? Oh, darling, always the bad news first, Lina. Always the bad news. Okay. Do you know that actually there is only one out of eight Americans today who are metabolic healthy? Wow. That is bad news. One out of eight. Then metabolic healthy is defined as having ideal levels of all these five markers without using any medication. But there you said something, Lina, without using any medications. I think that many people think, like, why worry so much? There are great medicines out there and I can live a normal life even if I have some high cholesterol or high blood sugar, for example. And this, dear listeners and Mia, is actually the very problem. These risk factors, they are lifestyle driven. But despite this, you normally get a medicine prescribed, even though you could actually prescribe lifestyle changes. The good thing if you prescribe lifestyle changes is that you go to the very root of the problem and not just take a pill for the symptoms. Mm, yes. So instead of going to the root, you just go home and maybe continue having like bad eating habits poor exercise, and then statistics show that there is a great risk you will be back at the doctor after some time with a new problem, let's say with high blood pressure this time. Yes, since these are lifestyle related, they will not disappear if you are not changing your lifestyle. Now, there is another aspect to this also. I mean, apart from the great suffering for individuals and their families, of course, And that is, once you got metabolic syndrome, you actually have a higher risk for heart disease, stroke, but also diabetes. Oh, yes. It's not rare that people go undiagnosed with these symptoms for years and discover only when having a heart attack, for example. Hmm. And all these welfare diseases put an enormous strain on our health budget, tremendously, Here in Europe, we actually put our healthcare systems at risk. And talking about one disease leading to another, I would also like to say a few words about the pandemic we are facing right now. Yes, that's so important, Lina. Now, when we are living in the COVID-19 era. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, it came a disease where there was no pill to take. Our health status is actually the only thing we can hold on to. Mm. I mean, apart from washing our hands, keeping distance and staying at home. Mm. And too many of us today have a poor health status. Mm. Now it's time for some good news, don't you think? I've been longing for quite a while now, Lina. 
If you have been diagnosed with one of these risk factors, or even with metabolic syndrome, you can actually reverse it through your lifestyle. And this is where Rebecca comes into the room. Yeah, and so what Rebecca is doing is prescribing a diet. And so far, she has been able to help almost every one of her patients. So shall we listen to Rebecca now? Someone who truly believes that we are what we eat. I think that's a great idea. Thank you, Lina. So please make sure to take care of your lifestyle because it might save your life. So, Rebecca, you told us that uh, you had met quite a lot of uh, patients here in Sweden and that uh, so many of them had problems without knowing it. Correct. And actually that uh, you were able to to help everyone only by prescribing food. There was only one that couldn't be helped. Yeah, so I've seen probably around 75 patients so far in the Mm. past six months. And uh, like you said, most of them had no idea. Few of them knew from the doctors that they had problems with uh, cholesterol or blood pressure, but most of them actually had no idea. They just came in to hear about nutrition and how to be more healthy. Mm. And then to find out when we tested them that actually they had high cholesterol or they had um, higher blood sugars than normal, you know, and, and these these were the most common ones that we saw, especially the, the high cholesterol. So um, and it's... I think it's something that we normally don't get tested unless we have symptoms, unless we feel unwell or we feel something has happened, you know, with a family member, you know, that we are we are aware that we should maybe get checked up. But otherwise, most people, they really go undiagnosed for a very long time before um, going to the doctors to get a check. Mm. And what's the risk by going undiagnosed with high cholesterol, for example? Yeah, so we know obviously cholesterol, the longer you go with a high cholesterol, the more of this plague you're going to get in your arteries. So that means it's going to get more and more blocked. Um, mm. And we know that the end uh, result of that is is could be a coronary heart disease, heart attack, stroke, depending on where which arteries are in, are being blocked, you know, but severe, um, severe outcomes really of something that someone don't really think about, you know. So mm. I think it's the UK, they say one in in every four minutes are having a heart attack. And one in every four minutes. This, these That's are statistics crazy. from the British Heart Foundation, you know, and so people and people not knowing, obviously not prepared for this happening. And that is because they go around with, with some of these um, undiagnosed symptoms like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, typical risk factors. But isn't it quite easy to uh, find out if you're having... To get tested. Yeah, to get tested. It is. So to include this in the so-called like uh, preventive healthcare would be, uh, would actually be very good, not only for the patients, but also for the society and the the cost. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what we see now is that the cost on the national health 
has uh, has uh, uh, we're talking billions. It's a huge strain on the budget uh, for for many countries. Um, now I'm obviously I know a lot about the UK, but I, I know in the rest of the European countries. Uh, Prescribing things like statin, which is a common medication for people with high cholesterol, mm. is 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 huge uh, strain on the budget. And to think that this is something like you said can actually be cured with diet, you know, and or be prevented if if we do more regular checkups. Um, mm. So there are many people that contact us that are actually on statins, yeah. especially older men. Mm. So I say, uh, what would you recommend them on a diet basis to do? Yeah, so um, absolutely, you're correct. I believe almost, and and I would say with my patients as well, the most common one was the high cholesterol. And and this is the easiest one to get down, really. Yeah. Like we see people within a month or two, they are down to perfect levels, you know. Most Without of my, statins. With, with the ones we capture in time. Mm. So the ones that we do see on statin and do need to be on statins are the ones who've gone around with undiagnosed levels for a long time, meaning that they have accumulated a lot of this plague in their artery. So we do need the statin to help get rid of some of that mm. uh, if they are in what we say high category, high risk group. Um But the ones we capture earlier where we see actually your levels are too high, we need to keep them controlled under um, under under the recommended um, uh, values, you know. Those we we manage to do with diet, you know. So again, that's the key words, prevention is is catching it early, mm. um, not going around too long without getting tested, without knowing. And that goes not only for um, cholesterol, that goes for for diabetes as well. You know, capturing you when you are pre-diabetic, when you're measured as pre-diabetic. And I think this is even a new term in in Stockholm or in Sweden. It's not something that's really being used a lot. You know, uh, the term pre-diabetics, but we we use it a lot in in the UK and and some of the other European countries, especially in the US, um, mm. where we actually have definitions. A diagnostic for what is what when is a person pre-diabetic mm. so when it's a person pre-diabetic yeah <laughs> so we have a measurement called hba1c and this is a measurement in the blood that we measure blood a blood type blood sample and we know that when you are above 6.5 you are diabetic mm. 6.5 percent that's when you're diagnosed diabetic based on the who uh, the world health organization guidelines and the american Diabetic Association, um, and when you are above five points seven, then you are actually pre-diabetic, um, and and this is something that I think a lot of people were completely unaware of, and and they don't maybe not often get told either, you know, because um, it is still very new data, but mm, I believe it's something that's very important because what we see in research is that is when it's the most important stage to intervene with diet. So this is when you are most likely to reverse your your diabetes to improve your your insulin sensitivity again. Oh, this is uh, very important mm. because you know that twenty uh, percent of the adult population in Sweden are suffering from uh, pre-diabetes and most of the people, they are unaware of yeah. it. So um, if you think that you are in the risk zone and you think I might have this, what kind of symptoms do you have? It's 
it's it's not really the stage where you feel the same symptoms as diabetes. So you don't feel the classic symptoms like fatigueness, uh, very thirsty, uh, going to the toilet a lot, you're urinating a lot. These are the classic diabetic symptoms. You know, the pre-diabetes is very difficult to to actually. Um, to feel for for clients so you can feel absolutely well and healthy you know uh, not feeling tired but lots of people that I've heard and this is really just from my own personal experiences that they say they find themselves um, late in the afternoon craving things you know craving craving more sugars but this can really be that any done, of us um, you know any most of part us part of my life so, <laughs> So, so this is not something that you can put down to it, you know, but dizziness, feeling thirsty, urinating more often. These are the classic diabetic um, symptoms, but they are not actually been reported in prediabetes. Mm. So that means prediabetes, you are still producing enough insulin to, to metabolize, to, to get rid of the sugars in the blood. Um, but you're just not maybe producing enough or your cells are not sensitive enough. Um, so not absorbing enough of this insulin. So they are still working and therefore you don't really have the symptoms, which is, makes it even more dangerous. Um, and that's really sad since this is the most important phase absolutely. if you want to reverse it uh, you know, easily, more easily. Absolutely. That is why something like uh, not once a year, but every two years, a very simple blood test with your doctors can actually tell you if you have high risk for cholesterol, high risk for for prediabetes or what we also call prehypertensive, you know, checking mm. your blood pressure. So we know all of these pre-stages are the important stages. Mm. I mean, if you see what uh, diabetes type 2 and um, high cholesterol with all the heart-related uh, mm. uh, uh, diseases, but also... Um, Say the word again, hypo, hypotherm. What did you say? The third one, uh, hypertensive. So, yeah. um, so that's high blood pressure. Yeah, high yeah. blood pressure. If you see the cost of these diseases, it's enormous. Yes. And uh, how much do you think it costs to just take a normal blood test? Would I mean? Would it be uh, very, very simple and yeah. very quick and very cheap? And okay. so, I mean. Out of experience from European, typical European prices, you know, would be less than, if I'm going to say in, in Swedish kronos, would be less than uh, 200 Swedish kronos, you know, two, oh 300 Swedish kronos. Yeah. So to include that from a certain age yeah. to people, like we do screening for uh, uh, pelvic cancer yes, and things. Yeah. And mammography, and yeah. uh, so to include that would actually be a very good investment. Yes. For Absolutely. the politicians. Talking about that, we go going to meet with the Swedish Minister for Public Health Great. in a few um, in a few weeks. And uh, if I mean, she works on the political level mm. and she can't do everything, of course. Mm. But if there is anything she could do to uh, uh, improve the public health, uh, what would that be? Well, personally, like what I was I completely agree with what you said, you know, a simple blood test, you know, that costs so little and it's so quick to do, you know, is really the the biggest um, strain on the on the on the country's public health. That is the cholesterol. That is the diabetes. These are the two biggest ones, you know. Um, so 
making it more accessible for for um, for the public. So meaning um, you don't have to book into a private clinic necessarily, but making something that the, the national health are actually um, calling people in. You get a letter every two years, you know, it's time for your two years checkup. Um, mm. You can go to any any GP centers or any 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 doctor centers nearby. Um, I don't know how the public's um, health works here in Sweden, but that's how it is in in the UK. Mm. So I think something simple as that, you know, could really uh, make people more aware. But obviously, this goes as we talked about hand in hand with actually getting the right. Um, the right advice as well so it it's not good enough just to get a blood test and then being given a statin the medicine yeah actually met uh, Dr. Moosley, Michael Moosley, some weeks ago and we talked about this and he said his uh, wife is a GP and uh, she always uh, prescribed food food to uh, people that have these kind of problems. Excellent. And um, she also said that when she talks to patients, they they are very happy to speak about food and mm-hmm. what they can do themselves but they f- feel that the doctors never bring the subject up and uh, and so according to Dr. Mosley he said that it's a huge problem that the doctors they they don't make the patients aware of mm. that there is so much they can do only with their diet yeah. So that was actually what he said. Yeah. Uh, we should tell the Swedish uh, Minister for yeah. Public Health to include uh, food and nutrition in yeah. the doctor um, education. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I do. I do think the doctors want the best for their their patient, you know, and I think they are very very hardworking. And I think many doctors I know from from other countries are overloaded with work um, because we are getting sicker and sicker you know they're getting more and more patient people are living longer and longer so they have really overloaded with work that's what I hear over and over again from both the the local doctors but also the hospital the nurses everyone is really on an overload Mm -hmm. and that's why they simply look at the most efficient way for them to treat their patient is if they don't have those 20 minutes to sit down and speak with the patient about their diet and what they should be doing, but they actually only have five minutes, um, mm. I feel maybe some of them feel like they don't have a choice. And that's that's really sad because there should be like a sensor then they could refer to a dietitian, clinical dietitian. Mm. So that's something that I think that needs to be emphasized on. Um, I know in the UK, we have a lot more registered clinical dietitians that we have in Scandinavia working in in um, in the national health, you know. Mm. And the same compared to other countries like Spain, they, they barely have any. So they're very much a medication-oriented uh, uh, national health um, systems. And I think this is a, a huge, um, huge mistake. It's very interesting because um, talking about these um, side effects and clustering, mm. I think that many people wonder why is it a problem if i have uh, if i am diagnosed with prediabetes or high cholesterol 
why shouldn't I just go on medication? Yeah, um, actually, as late as today, I had a client coming in and this is the classic um, scenario. He came in and had been diagnosed with, with high cholesterol and, and he was like, he was told by his doctor, you can either take this little pill once a day or you can change your diet completely. So the doctor had mentioned it, you know, and um, and the client lo obviously looked at the pill thinking, hmm, mm, easy, <laughs> easy, I can do this. This is like a, a vitamin I take every morning. Um, but the problem is there, and, and that's what I told him, and you said you can absolutely take that pill, you know, and, and not change your diet, but I will guarantee you that in a couple of years you'll come back into that doctor's office and you will have pre-diabetic or be actually diabetic and you'll get a new pill or you will have high blood uh, high blood pressure and you will get your pill number free mm. and that's how it's going to continue until it's something that they can no longer cure with a pill you know because essentially what I see in all my clients is start with one thing mm. and then a few years later they come in with the the diagnosis number two and mm. then number three and these are the classic what we call metabolic syndrome mm. and metabolic syndrome is a clustering and so this is very interesting it's exactly what you're talking about it's a clustering of of, uh, of symptoms that we know are highly lifestyle related and that once you have metabolic syndrome that means you have three of these risk factors of these five risk factors five six risk factors you are um four times more likely to develop uh, diabetes and you are more than doubles more likely to have a, a heart attack you know oh my god so you are just walking down the path deeper and deeper down a dead end road you mm. know and um so actually you could say like this even uh, if i also as you said before i believe that doctors want to help their patients yeah. because that's what they they are educated yes. to do but at the same time Knowing this, it's not very nice to give someone a pill when mm. they have the opportunity to actually mm. uh, dig into their problem and solve it yeah. once and for all. Yeah, I mean, lifestyle diseases um, and changing a behavior, changing a lifestyle, whether if it's uh, quitting smoking, alcohol or or eating your cheese and bacon in the morning. It is very difficult. And I have to say it is it's I see a patient for typical in the clinic i see them twice i see them for uh, about two two hours you know um and within those two sessions i do move a lot you know i do make a a, a huge difference to that patient's life but not everyone have that time you know and this is obviously we're talking private health here these clinics i'm working at you know um, but it does take at least two to three sessions with uh, a therapist to to go through. This is your food you're eating. This is what you should remove. This is what you should have more of and give them sort of tools to how to implement this into their daily life. Mm. I can imagine how hard it is. Imagine if you eat like uh, pizza uh, only like that it's terrible diet some of them have yeah but it must be diet. so hard to quit because you yeah. eat all the time it's an I mean, that's what you do in it's a day a... you eat so you must feel like what shall i do if i can't eat that yeah. Th there will yeah. be no joy yeah. in life basically that must be the hardest yeah. thing for people hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Talking about diabetes, um... Many researchers nowadays call Alzheimer's diabetes type 3. Yes. And when we put this on our Instagram, it was like people were so intimidated. And I think that the reason is because when you talk about that you are actually able to prevent a disease, many people also feel guilt. Mm. And um, and it's so hard working with this, not to uh, to be like a, a shame giver, if you mm, know what mm. I mean. Uh, but when it comes to Alzheimer's and diabetes type three, is that something uh, you? Uh, what is your opinion about that? I mean, personally, I haven't really had those patient groups in my clinic. The ones that I have are. Uh, a younger younger patients I have um, so I haven't personally had a lot of experience with it but but like you said with um, this is something that are in our hand in our control and, and these are actually key words that I use every single time in my sessions because you are in a way lucky that you have the control to actually prevent these diseases that's mm-hmm. how i see it you know and i say that to someone when they come in with a diagnostic from their doctors that they can actually reverse or at least uh, halt so it doesn't uh, escalate any further you know but what you mentioned a little bit before in the break was that people changing a changing the way you eat is very difficult yeah. and um and some people feel like yes they prefer the pill or or um or they they will no longer have joy in life if they no longer have these foods you know and and it's it's very um it saddens me because um it is essentially an addiction you yeah. know that's often how i look at it mm-hmm. and it's almost an addiction that's worse than that's worse than quitting than smoking or 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 alcohol or any other drugs and the reason why that is is because we are we have to eat three times a day yeah yeah we've been raised by our parents to eat a certain food uh we may be in this socioeconomic um area where we eat a certain way you know um so it's something so in integrated in our behavior and in our society that um, it makes it really difficult to break free from and and to start cooking differently, buying different things in the supermarket, going down 
aisles you didn't even know existed, you mm. know, and, and foods you didn't know existed. Um, but yes, it's the, the, the type 3 diabetes and Alzheimer's, you know, this is something that we see much later on. Um, but again, could have been prevented, mm. you know, and that's why when, also when I see patients, I say, yes, you're taking this pill, but essentially in a couple of years, you'll, you'll take a new pill for another thing and so on. And the end product, as I said, you know, could be, could be else, could be dementia, Alzheimer's, lots of these, again, lifestyle, something that you could have prevented, you know, mm. and, and these are really sad, um, diagno diagnosis, you know, for, for patients. And, and I think people need to realize the severity of the food that they eat. You are what you eat, 100%. We mm. see this over and over again with all the test results that we do with patients and how they change after being on an intervention diet for even just one month, you know, mm. how they really improve their health. Um, so I think... That is so nice to hear. Yeah. I mean, they must be so happy when they come back to you and see you. Extremely happy. They're, they're surprised. They're all very, very surprised. So though they knew that, you know, that, Obviously, diet is important. They never knew how much they could shift in no. that short time, in mm. two months, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, if you if you take tests and you realize that, oh, my God, my health is not as good as I thought, mm. then you have like a big incitement to do something yeah. about it. And then when you come back and see that I actually managed That must be such a nice feeling it's for a, it's a, the patients. It's a great achievement for them, you know, and this is the motivation that keeps them going. Mm. Um, so when actually, like I said, I see them twice, you know, and I normally don't really see them again, you know, because they get this kick, they get this high from seeing what they have done. And also they actually start feeling the benefit from it. And a lot of this is a classic thing, you know, I see in, in my friends and colleagues who eat very healthy and the other colleagues look at them and think, oh, poor you, you must eat that yeah. food, you know, when I can have all this wonderful junk food or whatever it is, you know. And and the the, the colleague who's eating very healthy looks at the other person and said, no, I feel great. I haven't felt better. I'm so energized. You know, I'm just, I feel really, really good. And I actually feel much happier as well. And and this is the true picture of how you feel when you've actually been on a healthy diet for a few months. Yeah, You start feeling the benefit, not just in your in your organs, in your health, all these tests that we're measuring, but actually mental health, yeah. we know is extremely uh, related with your with your diet. Mm. I think that's a very interesting subject because um, the most common um, reason to be on sick leave in Sweden is uh, because of uh, mental problems, oh. that you feel depressed or uh, yeah. feel down and... Mm. I, I wonder, why don't we speak more about the influence food has on your mental health? Mm. Because it's uh, it's obvious now. I mean, in Australia, there are many researchers working with these, uh, um, with the mental health area and showing that it is related to, uh, to what we eat. Yeah. But... I feel that it's like many many doctors don't want to talk about mm. it. It's um, it's still a new area of science, I mm. have to say. So um, for for many several reasons, are, are we not talking about it? So a yes, it's still a new area of science, and I and I 
I, I see this over and over again, um, doctors or not just doctors, healthcare professionals that don't feel comfortable m- mentioning anything in their practice they're not sure about or they haven't read enough about. Um, but secondly, it's still a little bit of a taboo. I think it's it's definitely much better now and we're much more open about talking about mental health problems and um, and more and more cases are being diagnosed because we're feeling like it's not so much of a taboo and we actually it's okay to go to a therapist, you know, and, and talk about it. And um, so what we are seeing now in science is that, like you said, diet affects the way we think, the way we feel. Mm. We know from the recent studies that we are microbiota in our gut. So our bacteria, our healthy and bad bacteria in our intestinal system are actually communicating with neurotransmitters and control centers in our brain. Mm. And uh, what we're seeing, what the studies are showing is these different strains of bacteria are affecting in very different ways. So we know that if we have a very, I'm going to use the word toxic, though it's not a very professional or, no. or accurate word approximately, but but it, it describes this pretty well, having a toxic environment in your microbiota. So meaning you have a lot of these pathogen and dangerous bacteria more than the healthy bacteria are actually affecting the way you are expressing lots of these um, happy hormones in the brain. So serotonin, uh, GABA, lots of these uh, neurotransmitters, which are are the neurotransmitter that decides if you feel happy, if you feel today's a good day or I have achieved something. So we are As science is improving and as these dietary studies are improving as well, we're actually being able to see now how things are connected Mm. from our small bacteria in the gut to Mm. neurotransmitters and to mental health. So this is something we're going to see a lot more on in the next sort of um, two to five years. Um, And I I do believe that this is something that's going to move mountains in in mental health and um, treatment. Which will be so wonderful mm. to follow this mm. uh, this development. Yeah. It's like an ecosystem, your body. Exactly. And if you do something somewhere, yeah. it affects, might affect things that you were not even uh, thinking of Absolutely. at the beginning. Time is running out, but I have one last question. We talked about IBS. In Sweden, it's one out of three people suffers from IBS. Many of these people, they suffer from a mental problem Mm. from from stage to stage. Mm. Um, Because it's a a very uh, tough disease to live a normal social life. Absolutely. So uh, when patients come to you, and uh, and uh, you realize that they have IBS, how can you help them? So I, I would probably say IBS, it's, I didn't know the statistic in Sweden, but it's interesting because uh, uh, of the clinic that I have here in Stockholm, I would say it's probably, yeah, two-third of that was, was mm. these metabolic syndrome, was these uh, high cholesterol, diabetes, these diseases. And the other third... Uh, was IBS. Oh. Yeah. Mm. So that's interesting. I, I was surprised I had that many um, clients that were actually suffering with IBS. So 
IBS is uh, irritable bowel syndrome, and this is a, a diagnostic for an umbrella of different symptoms. So feeling bloated, not going, having proper toilet habits, uh, feeling stomach cramps, um, acid reflux. So anything really that's related to the whole digestive system from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what IBS covers. So you can really have different degrees of it. And like you said, it affects the client hugely. It's um, it's something that, again, often goes uh, undiagnosed for, for years. Mm. People just think, oh, this, this is how... This is how it, it is, should be. you know. And also maybe many people find it embarrassing to start to talk about because Absolutely. it's like so private. Absolutely. I definitely think that that's also a factor and 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 speaking with a doctor who's maybe very busy, you know, in mm. his clinic is don't have time to go into all these details and what you eat in your diet. It's maybe that's also one of the reasons of of being undiagnosed, but um essentially we're seeing more and more cases uh, coming up. And like you said, it's very much related to mental health as well. Um, what I see in my patient is that possibly f- like one third, 50% maybe are actually because of a food intolerance that we can measure. So when I say measure, it's a different test that we have. So we either do a genetic test or we do a hydrogen breath test, um, which is a, a test where we measure the small, uh, the bacteria in the, in the gut. Um, the other cases we they come come out clear, so we we we're a little bit puzzled, um, and that is simply because uh, the other half, or at least two one third, is because of mental health related stress is a huge trigger mm. for for IBS symptoms. So though you don't actually have a food intolerance, you're not lactose intolerance or gluten intolerance. When we do the testing at the doctors, you can still have. IBS. Um, and that's going back to that whole ecosystem mm. in the body. So as much as the bacteria control the center in our brain, our brain equally also controls or it's connected with our gut. So we know when we are stressful, our intestine almost cramps up. Yeah, mm. And this was actually tested in King's College University, which is one of the biggest... Um, the biggest university invested in IBS in worldwide. And and they did these horrible tests to patients, giving them stressful news or putting them through stressful tasks and actually measuring how the gut was reacting. So this is scientifically proven mm. that these two things are connected. So, um, and I would say another another group of the, the patients um they have what we call a uh, microbiota imbalance, and that's why they suffer with these uh, uh, IBS symptoms. So that meaning, like dysbiosis, or yeah, so hmm. meaning that either you could have gone traveling and you had a, a food uh, poison, and since then you. Your tummy hasn't been the same since then. A lot of people experience that because they still have some of these pathogenic um, bacteria leftovers in their gut. Or that the food quality that you're eating is simply so poor that you're actually disturbing your natural habitat of your microbiota and your gut. And mm. this is another huge contributor. It's a poor diet. Um, so yeah, I would say IBS is caused by either food intolerance, uh, mental health or stress, or you having actually disturbed your natural environment mm. with your diet. Mm. How how can it be treated? 
So what I do with with all of my clients is I put them, I prescribe them a, a diet called the FODMAP diet. And this is possibly one of the diets with the most evidence behind it uh, in IBS. And since that came out, it actually became um, first line of treatment. So no longer was it medication. So the doctor actually... In their guidelines, they have to prescribe this diet. Um, so this, tell the patient to go see a dietitian and do the FODMAP diet. So the FODMAP diet, essentially what it stands for, an abbreviation of a group of fermentable carbohydrates that we know we're not tolerating very well. So that means that we're actually feeding the bacteria so we get a very toxic environment in our gut. So this is a four-weeks detox diet that we put them on where we completely eliminate them from these fermentable carbohydrates. And this is a long list of foods, you know, that, um, that, you, that I discussed with the patient and, the, and how the diet would be for the, for the following four weeks. And after that, we sort of have detoxed the environment. So because they have this overgrowth of these bacteria, we have to get rid of them. We have to kill them. Mm-hmm. And it takes about four weeks to sort of completely detox the gut. And the first thing they notice is already almost in week one and two is their people who suffer with bloatedness is that their stomach suddenly is flat again. And they're mm. like, I haven't, I haven't felt like this. Yeah. And then suddenly the next one says they don't no longer have cramps and they start finding themselves going to the toilet naturally, you know, mm. without any help, without any medication and having just a normal life again. And the very last thing is that they feel more energetic because they're actually absorbing these foods, these nutrients yeah, that the body course. was not absorbing. Mm. So um, huge, huge success with this diet. Like I honestly, I think it's one of the most successful diet that I have ever seen in my 15 years of career as a dietitian. So mm. very, very uh, impressive. And so for everyone out there who does suffer with IBS, know that there is a diet out there that can really help you. Mm. So you encourage everyone with IBS to actually try FODMAP, but together with the specialist. Yes. So unfortunately, still um, the FODMAP booklets, the diet booklets are only available via two universities in the world. And that's King's College University and one in Australia. And only if you're a registered clinical dietitian can you actually get these booklets. So it's a little bit of shame. They should be out there. You'll probably see on the internet when you Google FODMAP diet that there's a lot of different lists out there, but these are not official. And I would tell people not to look at these because they still contain a lot of foods that are not good for you mm. okay so then you should go and uh, go look to for a professional yeah. yeah thank you rebecca erickson for coming here and joining us today you have listened to the food pharmacy show with lina natby and mia klase joined by special guest dr rebecca eriksson the podcast is edited by me sebastian ring and i've also composed all the music for more food pharmacy content visit foodpharmacyco.com and follow us on instagram food underscore pharmacy Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.